0: And I suppose what I learned through lockdown, and we're still in lockdown today, I think we're about 255, day 255 out of 365 days. Um, I'm waiting on the Guinness Book of Records to send me the certificate so I can (laughs) hang it on the wall. But I think they'll have to print 6 million copies for each resident or 7 million copies for each resident in Melbourne.
1: Um,
0: But, you know, I, I suppose it taught me a lot about trusting in the Lord. You know, we we've just we we take over pastoring, things are going really well, you know, six, eight months, and then everything just shuts. All right. You know, I think it was the Apostle Paul that asked many times when he was going through his sufferings why. He never got an answer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and, and we can ask why and, and and it's I haven't got an answer yet why we're going through this through this season, and I believe it's a season, a very long season at the moment. But it's it's about trusting in the Lord and be flexible.
2: Welcome to the Hacker Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorn. I hope you all are doing well. Today we are blessed to be joined by a good friend of mine from south of the border in Victoria. Daniel Gabriel is the pastor of United Pentecostal Church of Limbrook. Limbrook is a suburb of the city of Melbourne. He took over as pastor midway through 2019 and has spent the last 18 months trying to navigate leading a church in the most shut down city in the entire world. We talk about his story, the challenges that he has faced during the pandemic and the miracle that God has performed for the Limbrook church in the midst of all of this. Before we get to the conversation, I want to encourage you to share this with a friend if you get something out of it, and allow it to bless them as well. Also, if you have time to rate and review the show where you listen to it, I would greatly appreciate that, as it provides me feedback and it makes it easier for new listeners to discover the show. With all that taken care of, let's get to my conversation with Daniel Gabriel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thanks Greg. No, I really, really appreciate it. As I was saying a little while ago, you know, I feel really honored, uh, to be part of this podcast, um, bit scared, but we'll see how we go, you know, and see the likes of sister Marquez and brother butcher and, and, and some others are like, Oh wow. Why me? But <laughs> Hey, we'll see how we go. <laughs> uh,
2: I'm looking forward to this conversation, have a chat with you, learn a bit more about uh, your life growing up, as well as, you know, what's led you into ministry and, and, and how you've been making your way through the last couple of years uh, pastoring as you've taken over pastoring. So we'll get into all that. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you. Well, I'd like to start off these uh, by getting a, a bit of background of the individual. Uh, a lot of us, you know, uh, a lot of the people who do listen to this podcast would know you, but may not know much about your story or where you're coming from, and then others who are not in Australia wouldn't know you at all. So it's just a good place to start to give people an idea of of where you're coming from, your worldview. Uh, Yeah, so if you wouldn't mind uh, telling us a bit about yourself growing up.
0: Yeah, well, uh, actually, um, interesting story. So I I wasn't born in Australia, despite the accent. I was born in (laughs) India, and um, we actually migrated to Australia in 89, when I was about nine years old at the time. Uh, my sister and I, my parents and my grandparents, um, you know, and coming to Australia. I suppose that was one of the the biggest events, really, even to now from that time, because we packed up everything we knew. Uh, my grandparents, have, you know, my grandparents, my parents, sister and I, we packed up everything we knew, and it was like going to an unknown unknown world. Mm. Um, you know, and and at the time it was really, you know, at the time it was really interesting because. Immigration laws at the time only allowed us to come to Australia with 25 US dollars each.
2: Oh, wow.
0: So, most of that went at Kuala Lumpur Airport with McDonald's and ice cream <laughs> and lollies, um, things that we'd never experienced before. And uh, so, yeah, most of that was spent um, spent uh, at the airport on, on treats. And, uh, yeah, we landed in Sydney from uh, India and spent about six weeks there before moving to Melbourne.
2: Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool
0: we did and, and that was where um, i suppose we were introduced to the church of belmore
1: hmm.
0: it was an interesting time looking and then we were embraced by the church of belmore where brother corby would actually come and um, pick up my grandfather and my dad to take him to church every week
2: oh wow that's awesome
0: so yeah you know, there's that heritage there and and um we were really blessed and then as i said you know six weeks later we moved to melbourne that was always the plan to spend a bit of time in sydney and then move to melbourne and we've lived here ever since uh just gone 42 um and yeah so i I love melbourne Mm. Uh,
1: melbourne
0: melbourne is home irrespective of what's happened in the last two years with our COVID situation melbourne melbourne is still home but you know there's always that 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 heritage side of things with my grandparents and whatnot um there's always that that place in sydney there's there's home you know we um when we visit sydney when we have been able to we often drive past the old belmore church and and whilst i don't remember too much of it some memories come back from the stories i've heard Hmm. and what my grandfather and my father and my parents told me about
2: that place so were your was your family connected to the church at all before coming to sydney or did they meet someone here and get connected to the church
0: my grand my grandfather actually um grew, grew up in a traditional religious um, circle but in 1962 he had a terrible motorcycle accident in India came off his bike and ended up um, having fits and seizures a bit of epilepsy and one day he was walking past a tent meeting and um, he saw this healing crusade going on and um, at the time he said well what have I got to lose and it ended up being United Pentecostal Church tent crusade in India oh wow and he walked into that meeting and and at the time I'm not sure he was preaching but uh, he came to the altar and um, God miraculously healed him of that epilepsy
2: that's incredible. And,
0: and ever since then, he's you know, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, um, raised, raised up in Pentecost. Wow. Um, he had a pretty big ministry in India. He traveled to many UPC churches and also non-UPC churches, um, spreading the oneness of God, baptism in Jesus' name. And he had a you know, huge impact on my life.
2: That's amazing. I've never heard this story, and I've known you for 11 years. That is, that's <laughs> incredible. That's what an incredible testimony.
0: Look, it's, it's a it's i i thank god for my heritage and and you know and growing up in india as most southeast asian families we lived in a multi-generational household so mum and dad worked and and uh, grandma and grandpa were the ones that would you know take us to school feed us all that sort of thing and, and um and even when we lived in Australia i remember with my grandfather it was never about you know tell me about what how you're going in school how are you doing that exam it was always you know tell me about the last time you preached you know tell me about your calling it was never about the, the the school the work all of that thing it was always about following your calling and 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 I suppose he set that example in India because he he put it all to the side and, and followed after God and went full-time in the ministry with with no no backing no church backing him or anything like that it was just you know going to the ministry so he planted that seed in my heart really young of you know yes you might need to work yes you might need to have a job to support yourself but is that really important? Is that the most important thing in your life?
2: Right. And so you're a uh, third generation preacher. So I knew your your dad's a, a minister as well. I hadn't realized that your grandfather was the the start of it all. Um yes. So obviously you talked about how that that was something that was important in your family dynamic. Your 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 granddad would talk to you about that. But when did you personally feel the call to ministry? When did when did that become real for you, not something for your granddad, not something for your dad, but something yeah. for you.
0: I for me, it was in my teenage years, you know, I, I, during that period, I, I, I would see people around me and, and aspire to be to some, some of these people. And, and I'd look at them and go and think to myself, there's more to more to life than just having a job, you know, being born, living, having a job, getting married, kids, retirement, and then you die. There has to be more to life than that and and you know yes my grandfather planted that seed of, there's more to it and and in my life i suppose around that 16 17 year old I, I was at a national camp and i don't know who it was someone came and was praying with me and and really it was a the prayer was more like a lord reveal your will to this person's life mm-hmm. and and it was almost like a, a switch flick you know it was that, that that instant thing in it and i knew all right there, there is something that i need to seek after and and and, and i felt in my life that God was calling me to just be more than just ordinary and just living a normal life, you know, like right. job, marriage, kids. Those are all important aspects of your life, absolutely. But there was more to, more to life than that. So I'd say, I'd say it was a national youth camp around sixteen or seventeen. Uh, I reckon it was in Kuma. It was very cold, <laughs> but that didn't matter. It was a, it was a life-changing experience for me.
2: And oh, that's awesome. And yes, yeah, so similar things happened to me. It was a, a youth event as well when I was around sixteen. And uh and somewhat similar story where, you know, I felt my dad was a minister. I felt that cult that, that pull to the ministry, I think initially when I was 12 at like a junior youth camp. And then you sort of, you become a teenager, you do your, your thing, and then uh, God comes knocking on the door once again mm-hmm. uh, when you're starting to make some decisions about uni and, and different things like <laughs> that. So that's a cool testimony.
0: And, and I, and I did the uni thing and, and, and all that. And look, I started university and, and look, it just wasn't, it wasn't for me, you know, and it was interesting times because I started doing a co- computer programming degree mm. and, and that was just, um, 98. So when, you know, computer programming was starting to be a thing in Australia on a larger scale. And I remember doing this course and I got to the first year, and I was just like, mm, nah, this is not for me. Anyway, I pulled out of the course and, and funny story in my, in my finance role, um, I met a client that actually studied the same course I did and we were doing some financing, some financing for him. And um, he shared me his tax return for the year (laughs) and uh, I fell off my chair when his tax return for the year was a three and a half million dollar income for the year. And I thought to myself, wow, but didn't regret it at the same
2: time. Yeah, of course. And, and there's no amount of money can replace, you know, following after the call of God and doing the will of God in your life. When I was, I think one day I'll actually do a podcast where I actually share my full story. I've been sharing it bits and pieces in, in these different conversations. But I was uh, 16 and I was on my way to the Air Force Academy. I wanted to study aerospace engineering. And that's when uh, uh, what I described earlier, God came knocking on the door and, and I had to make that decision. You know, was I going to go to the Air Force Academy, commit seven years to that? Or was I going to go to Bible school? And don't regret it one day i don't regret it um yeah. at all making that decision because like i said living for god is mm. above everything else it really is and following totally. after as well you can't you can't match that
0: no you can't and, and and yeah you know a job is is you know you can work in a secular job and then aerospace engineering or in finance as i did you know you leave that job and 10 minutes later they've forgotten about you
2: right exactly
0: you know and 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 following and Following up to Lord and ministry, it's it's different. Mm-hmm. People might still forget about you, but it's not about that. You know, it's about it's about the kingdom.
2: Yeah, and you're investing into eternity rather than just mm-hmm. investing yeah. in here and now.
1: Yeah.
2: So, right. uh, what advice would you give a young person who feels a call to ministry? So, you felt the call to ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, you could even share some steps that you may have taken when you when you first felt that initial call, or you know yeah. what you've done over the years. But what advice would you give someone who's first feeling that tug? And, and wants to respond to the call of God on their life?
0: Um, I, I would say the most important thing is submitting to your pastor to start with. You know, I, I remember when brother and sister Holden were our pastors over 15 years ago um, at Limbrook. And we know the Holden story, general superintendents, you know, coming to Pentecost, one of the earliest ones in Australia, and they were pastoring it. And and it would be, uh, I would just be willing to do whatever whatever it was. You know I, I would be happy to go to church and I would often go to church, be one of the first there, make sure the lights were on the sound equipment was on, you know, the place was comfortable, turn the heating on, turn the fans on, whatever it took just to just to be a part of it and and um submitting to your pastor is is extremely important. And I know just I'm not just saying that because I now am a pastor. I, I found growing up that the importance of that and and yes, you may not ever agree with your pastor hundred percent of the time. But I think Brother Woodward said once that submission doesn't mean agreement.
1: Right.
0: It just means that he's your pastor, and he's likely he's right. Mm. <laughs> um, and and so I suppose that that was one of the things that I would encourage any young, any person, young or older, looking to step into ministry, is to submit to your pastor. Um, obviously, it goes without saying. Read the Word, pray. Obviously, um, Bible school is vitally important. Mm-hmm. You know, it just gets that that doctrinal grounding in your life, and and some of the subjects that I'm I'm helping out with our local Bible school at the moment on Zoom, just doing, you know, with our students watching it, and some of the things I'm still learning things from Bible mm. school. And I finished Bible school many years ago. Um, another thing that's very important: marry right.
2: Mm. Very good.
0: You know, ministries can be made or broken if you marry the wrong person, mm. um, and I've seen it firsthand. Many times you know your future spouse can make or break your ministry. Um, I can tell you a story about that if you like Greg yeah go um, ahead. my my grandfather was invited a lot of it's around my grandfather just is how it, this is how it was. He was invited to preach for Brother Holden while Brother Holden was pastoring in Adelaide at the time the Hogmans were in Adelaide. and I think you know this story and um, my grandfather was asked to preach one Sunday, and um, my wife Fiona at the time, was in the crowd and, and noticed this this older man, this older Indian man that uh, got up to preach and took his shoes off um, to preach. My grandfather was a firm believer that when he stood up to preach, he was on holy ground, so he would remove his shoes. Mm-hmm. Fiona at the time, she was about nine years old, nine, ten years old. And um, um, after that weekend, my grandparents came back to to Melbourne and actually told my parents, you know, I, I met the person that Fiona, that Daniel's going to marry. Oh, wow. And you know, this was ten years old and, and I and they never told us till we were married. And I'm glad they never told us, but at the same time, you know, you, it, the importance of marrying the right person is, is for your ministry. It's it's Fiona and I are a team. Right. You know, when I'm down she's she she picks me up. When she's down I pick her up. Um so you know, pastoring at church, I, I couldn't do it without her. Mm. And, and, and yes, as I say, anyone feeling aspired to the ministry, if, if you feel called to that and, and you are going to get married, make sure you pray about who you're going to marry that future spouse of yours. It is so important. And so, yeah, at the age of 10, uh, my grandfather and my grandmother met Fiona and came and told my parents, you know, I met the person Daniel's going to marry. And, uh, 13 years later, we were married.
1: Wow. Yeah.
2: That's such a, a great point that, um, that you need to keep in mind especially obviously if you're not married if you're already married then you got to try and, and make it work absolutely uh, as a team but you know if you're not yet married you need to consider you need to make sure that you put a lot of thought into who you're marrying and i remember uh my wife and i we met at bible school and, and we had a talk about our future and actually getting back to our conversation about you know earning a lot of money i, I basically told her i said you know i feel called to ministry and I'm never going to make a whole lot of money. So are you cool with that? Is that something that you're <laughs> that you're still fine with? And of course, you know, she felt that same call and uh, we aligned in that area. But can you imagine marrying someone who you feel called to ministry, you're sacrificing in your job, in your role, making less, and they're not in agreement with that. That's going to cause a lot of conflict. So and, yeah, I really love that point. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. It's, it's vitally true. And, and just really quickly on that point as well, you know, my wife and I, my wife always tells me to dream big Mm. and, you know, and, and, and I know that when I do, and and the choices and decisions that are made when I do that, I've got her, you know, she's got my back. Mm. And, you know, very recently it was March of this year. um, I actually stepped away from secular work and, you know, that's a scary thing in ministry. Right yeah you know you, you, to that point uh, yes, we' passed I was pastoring full-time and had been for a while and to that point uh you know, stepping away from it the next fortnight you don't see that money come into the bank
1: mm.
0: you know and um and it's it's things that you have to be prepared to give up on. again, I've seen a lot of people where God has called them to to do something for him, and God is asking them to give up something in a specific area and they just can't do it, right. and the person becomes miserable because they're not fulfilling their call they become miserable and 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 50% of the time maybe even more they step away from they just walk away from the lord because they have a calling god saying give up this this thing and it may not be a big thing and they just can't
1: mm.
0: and then they become miserable they 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 lose their relationship with the lord they walk away and and it's you know if god asks us to give up something it's not because he's a mean old taskmaster he's got something better in store for us
2: right yeah and, I and think,
0: we're never going to be left wanting. Sorry, we're never going to be left wanting.
2: Yeah, no, no, that's good. And I think further to that point, you know, um, in March, you're making this big decision. But the reason you're able to make a decision like that, yes, it's a sacrifice. It's always going to be a sacrifice when you're when you're yeah. falling after God and and, uh, yeah. you know, want to be wanting to be used by him. But you guys had prepared yourself. You know, I think that's another thing yeah. that that young yeah. leaders really need to understand is to. Uh, put themselves in a strong financial position, be good with their money, yes. learn how to mm-hmm. handle their money. So then they can make these decisions, you know? Um, absolutely. I think, it's, uh, it, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Sorry. I was going to say that it's important, you know, um, in our family, I'm the spender, <laughs>
2: it's
0: just the, just the way it is. And, and, um, you know, but when you walk away from a secular career and, and I was very blessed in the role I had in finance, you know, it was a very well-paid job, but when you walk away, um, but, at the same time, when you step into your calling and you're fulfilling that, you don't look at what you've lost right, even if it's even if it's the money from the pay slip the the, the guaranteed you know the guaranteed fortnightly salary that you're going to get, even if you step away from that, you haven't lost anything mm. and and being being learning to be good stewards of what you've been given and being financially careful absolutely it's very important,
2: yeah, it just opens up so many more possibilities it does. for you. you, it know, does. you Imagine if if you weren't in a in a decent position and you're wanting and you feel God is leading you in this direction, but you can't because you know yeah. you're just not in the spot you where you can give up you that salary. Yeah.
0: No, you can't. And that's right. And look, yeah, we still have a mortgage. We, we're putting um, our kids through schooling and all of the things that come with it. But the Lord has looked after
2: us. Mm. Yeah, and that's a. Yeah, my wife. That's another thing, you know. Uh, when you put your faith in Him, He's no man's debtor, and He's going to yeah. He's going to help you out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I tell this story very often, Greg, there was a period in my time, Harrison was about six weeks old, so quite a while ago, he's just turned 14, um, and I'd lost my job. We would, the world was going through the global financial crisis, mm. and uh, yeah, he was six weeks old, and I was working at a, a mortgage-broking company at the time, and um, they said I was the last one in the door at that at that company, so first one out when right. times got tough. Uh, I remember calling Fern and saying, coming home, you know, <laughs> jumping on the train and take a long train ride home. Seemed like the longest train ride I've ever taken because I've got a six week old, I've got an 18 month old and I've got no job. Um, and I remember there was a there was a mission service we had and we we had, and I'm not ashamed to say this, we had $200 left in the bank. And we had a mortgage payment coming up next week of three times that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we had a service and, and we gave everything that we had to the Lord in the missions offering. Mm. And, you know, that's okay. Now we've got $200 less than we had to start with and a mortgage payment coming up. And um, prior to that mortgage payment, the days leading up to it, three different people came and gave us $200. Wow. You know, and that covered our payment. And and it, if you put God first in every aspect, in ministry or whatever it is, you put him first, he's going to look after you. Right. You, you might not see where it's going to come from, but it's, it, it, he will look after you.
2: Yeah, taking that step of faith. And, yeah. And and that's a, that's a discipline that you can, yeah. you know, that's like a muscle that you can train, um, mm-hmm. putting God first. And then over the years, obviously, you've been exercising that muscle, and now you can step out this year and, and go full-time into the ministry because yes. you have built that faith. You've built that trust still. in God. Still
0: scary, still daunting. Yeah, of course. But we know that we're not walking through that, through that place. We're not stepping out of that boat alone. Mm-hmm. There's someone there with you, um, so yeah, that that would be one, one very important aspect as well. You know, make sure you have your your finances in order if you're looking to step out into ministry because you don't want that holding you back.
2: Right, of course. Um, one one
0: one more thing, I suppose, really that was important to me is have some ministry mentors in your life, hmm. and I'm not talking about ones that are just going to stroke your ego, pat you on the back, and say, "Well done." No, you need ones that are gonna that are gonna question you. They're going to talk about, you know, tell me about your motives,
1: Hmm. you
0: know, why are you doing this? You know, have you thought about this? And, you know, so I'm blessed to to have a couple of men in my life, brother, Simon Butcher, who who you've interviewed um, previously and and brother Trimble from Mm -hmm. America, you know, and, and I know that I can pick up the phone at any time and just talk through whatever I want. And I know I'm not just going to get an airy fairy, we've got your back, go for it sort of answer. Right. You know, so the importance of having mentors, absolutely your pastor is is the man you talk to or the person you talk to, but you know, there's also other people you should place in your life, you know, that 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 boardroom tables scenario that you can talk to. Yeah. It's very important.
2: Yeah, that's great. So we've we've touched on a bit that you are now pastoring and uh yeah. you're the pastor of uh, UPC Limbrook just outside uh, Melbourne. How far outside of Melbourne is Lindbrook? Uh,
0: it, on a good day in traffic, it's probably about 45 minutes. Okay. Uh, it's about 50 kilometers from the CBD.
2: Yeah. So you would you guys consider yourselves in Melbourne?
0: Yeah. We're, we're classified metropolitan Melbourne, unfortunately, with our <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> unfortunately, and, and, but the last Yeah. Now would, yeah last years, but yeah, no, that we are considered metropolitan Melbourne. And I would consider us a suburb of
2: Melbourne. Yes. Yeah. So when were you installed as the pastor there?
0: So we were installed, um, our first day officially as pastor was the uh, 1st of July, 2019. Hmm. Um, and yeah, what a crazy two years it's been. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's like your your father-in-law saw the the writing on the wall and he's like, <laughs> better get out I while
0: think I can. I, I feel the Lord spoke to him and told him what was to come. And he said, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but seriously, um, you know, I, I, I feel for the church and, and for my father-in-law, it was the right timing yep. in the sense of what was to come with the pandemic.
1: Yep.
0: You know, he, he, and I'm not, and I'm not putting him down in any way. He actually says to me, oh, we couldn't have done this if I was still pastoring mm. the things that we've been able to accomplish and, and get done, right. you know, in the last
2: two years. So Brother Hogbin, who's your father-in-law, he's a national presbyter with the UPCA. He's on, on the national board, and he's a leader within our movement. And from everything that I've seen from the outside and, and what you've told me, obviously, we're friends, uh, all indications show that the transition from their leadership ministry to you guys now pastoring the church has been really good. Why do you think it has gone so well?
0: Look, Brother, brother, Hogman, um, brother and Sister Hogman pastored that church for just over 15 years. Um, in the last five years of his pastorate, he installed us as assistants. So there was a five-year apprenticeship period. And I would say for for Fiona and I, that was priceless mm. for us. Um, I think from a transition perspective, he he was also willing, as the time drew near for that, for that five-year plan in place, he was willing to actually let go of the baton and, and hand it over. You know, the, the, there are a lot of transitions that can be very messy, but the, the process he put in place, yes, there was a five-year apprenticeship. Over the last 12 months, I'd say most of the decisions I made, but he, I knew he'd back me up, if anything, either way, for us to go well or not, you know, so, so there was that. But also because he was a uh, presbyter on the executive board, there was a lot of travel. So the people looked to us over that last two-year period while he traveled. And I think when, when we counted, Fiona and I counted, he was away for at least half of the year each year.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the people looked to us um, really as their, you know, potentially as the pastor and him as the senior pastor, whilst those titles weren't given.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, and I think I think he was he was of an age where he, he was willing to let it go, willing to let the baton go. So the people knew, you know, come this period, there is going to be a transition. The people were prepared for it because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's all about the people. Right, of course. You know, pastors, pastors come, pastors go. It's all about the people and, and looking at them, and we don't want to alienate them. We don't want them to feel that there was, there was you know, there was going to be turmoil and trouble, and and we just we just um, made, you know, it was just a smooth handover. If mm-hmm. there, There's not one specific thing that really I could put my finger on. Mm-hmm. But certainly, he could write a book on the process, and I think it would be well, very well received.
2: Yeah, it sounds like he had a plan. Yeah. And I guess that's uh, one yeah. of the most important things is thats is that there is a plan in place and that both yeah. people are committed to the plan, both the, the, the one who's currently pastoring is going to be handing off and also the person. Because you had to be willing to wait for five years. Um, yeah. Not everyone's willing to wait, unfortunately, um, yeah. during the apprenticeship process.
0: Yeah, and look, there were there were periods during those five years where you know things just you, as as the assistant pastor, you look at things that happen and and you go, really, why would I, why would I want to be doing this <laughs> as a senior pastor? But but again, you know, there's that there's that calling, and as I said before, you run from your calling. I'm going to be the miserable person in in this thing. Yeah, true. Um, you know, there was a there was a period in time where brother and sister Hogan were doing a bit of traveling and a, and. That, that year was a, one of the biggest years that I look back and go into my life. I go, I learned a lot. There were nine deaths related to the church.
1: Wow. It,
0: was almost, it was almost a period where, you know, we get a phone call and go, oh, another one, another one, another one. And, you know, through that period, I learned a lot personally about, you know, just because I'm the assistant pastor or soon to be the pastor, it, it's not about me. You know, and it was a tough lesson to learn because every time I'd get a call about a death or some bad news, I'd take it to heart,
1: mm.
0: you know, and, and, I, and I had to I had to realize if if I take these things to heart and, it, and it's all about me, I'm not going to be useful in the kingdom because it, it got me to a point where, you know, I, I, I'd get to church and I'd go, well, what's going to go wrong today? Mm. Because I was thinking about it from the perspective of it's me. It's all about me. You know, so we'd be having song service and there'd be someone in the back having a seizure. I kid you, this true story. Right. And I'd be like, Oh, what, what today? And, and, you know, and that's when you look at it from your own, from your own strength. And, and, and at the time I I shared this with brother and he's like, well, come on, you know, this, it's not about you. Mm. And uh, I don't know what the question was, Greg, but I just felt, you know, to share that with people stepping into ministry, it's really not about you. And when you make it about you, it's going to mess with you.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, that's perfect. Because we were talking about, you know, someone, actually committing to the apprenticeship you know it takes it takes both parties it takes the pastor who is willing to hand it off to someone and train someone and and uh see the allegiances of people kind of shift over time uh which obviously if there's a plan in place there's no problem with that uh so yeah and and being that individual who realizes that yes uh i'm the person who is going to be taking over but like you said, it's not about me. It's about the church, and it's about making the sacrifices that are necessary to see the, the church grow, the kingdom of God advance. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, and, and yes, the pe- the church was repaired. The people knew us as well. Both Fiona and I grew up in the church. So I suppose that is an aspect of making it easier for the people too they knew what they were going to get. Mm. It wasn't someone coming from outside that they didn't know. You know, they, they'd come in for a month, and they're taking over it was different for us and and the church knew us we grew up in that church and um yeah there, there was just that um there was just that trust i suppose right. in us because they knew us and and to have brother and sister when my parents cheering us from the sidelines is what more could you ask for
2: yeah that's what i've loved about it because i've i've uh, been down there and and been with you guys after you know you guys took over as the the lead pastors and just seeing you know Princess Hogman are still as committed. they're still there and they're yeah, they're there supporting you and cheering you on. it's it's wonderful yeah. to see it really is. So have you made any changes in the last couple of years since you, <laughs> since you guys took over as the leaders of the church, did you guys make any changes?
0: well, you know uh, someone always told us to prescribe we should prescribe to the inch by inch theory. Uh, we, we didn't. <laughs> um, we didn't do it <laughs> we didn't do that if anything we we probably smashed that theory there, there were some huge changes we we um we implemented as soon as we felt we could one of the biggest changes was the change of our service structure mm. under the ever since i can remember coming coming to this church um from when i was a, a young teenager it was a sunday morning sunday night service structure, and you know, Sunday morning was your teaching, Sunday night was your evangelistic service, and, and and that's how it goes. But as most churches go, you know, nowadays where you, you'd see a huge, huge disparity between the Sunday morning and the Sunday night crowd, and most people would attend Sunday morning, and, you know, we'd average 45, 50 on a Sunday morning where your Sunday night crowd, you, you're going to... Um, we basically had our faithfuls, our old faithfuls, and the ministry team. So one of the biggest one of the biggest changes that I implemented and that was within three months of us taking over was to change our service structure to a teaching, worship, preaching model on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. We were finding that people that were coming to church and that the older structure was, were either receiving instruction or inspiration on a Sunday morning, but not both.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we wanted to know how we're going to get around this. And, and uh, my wife and I had traveled to Africa and, and, it was one of the models they had there was the the teaching, going to worship and then um, then your preaching model and and we implemented it at Limbrook um, yeah three months from when we took over which was a huge change
2: yeah yeah it is
0: and I I remember putting that to our um, our ministry team at the time and and Brother Hogman was at that meeting and and I was <laughs> it was much fear, fear and trepidation because I do you know looking back to the conversations about you know inch by inch. And I put to him, you know, I put to the whole team with him there, you know, sitting on the side, kind of trying not to make eye contact with him (laughs) as I put to the team. And and the initial thoughts were, you know, we're gonna trial it for three months and see how it goes. Because I just thought to myself, if he's gonna get if he's can you know, if he's worried that I'm changing too much, he's still pressing me, well, we're gonna try it for three months and and it's gonna be okay, you know, we'll go back to the old structure. (laughs) And 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 of the whole ministry, ministry team, Brother Hogman looks at me and says, "If you're going to do it, just do it." Hmm. You know, and, and and it wasn't at that moment, but it really affirmed, you know, that we had their hundred percent support. And so that was a huge change. So from the first of September, three months into our past our, our taking over the church pastoring, we made this huge change, and and it was openly it was openly accepted by by everyone in the church. We didn't actually hear anyone um, negatively speak about it. Well, not to us anyway. <laughs> so that, that was that was probably the biggest change we've made um, since we've taken over. A couple of other little things, you know, we changed some times around and things, but that was the big one.
2: Mm, yeah, and that's a huge change. I remember when we went at POS, when we went from the morning-night method to multiple services, that took a, a lot of planning, a lot of persuading, <laughs> talking to, yeah. listening, a lot of listening. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> And then vision casting, you know, pastor had yeah. to cast the visions like this is the reason why we're doing it and so yeah. on. But yeah, no, that's a that's a huge change. In, and from what I've seen, it's been a successful change.
0: It, it, look, and it has been a successful change. Um, you know, when we took over, as I said, on a Sunday morning, we were averaging about 45 to 50 people and about 20 on a Sunday night. Prior to the pandemic, the church had actually uh, about doubled in, in attendance uh our best service prior to our lockdown in march last last year was um 99
2: wow that's awesome and that was
0: and you know and that was under the uh, under the new structure so we had people come in that didn't know the old structure we had people that knew the old structure but loved the new structure because it not only were they getting teaching and preaching um but they were also freeing up their sunday evenings and a lot of that was around family and you know family dinners and whatnot. So what what we did as a family was uh, once a month, we have a family dinner with, with the Hogwin family. So James and Lisa coming from the other side of town, Daniel and Lolita from the city, and we gather together, which we couldn't do prior to that. So, you know, it's it's been a blessing for the church, and it's certainly been blessings for the people in the church that can spend time with their families too.
2: So we've alluded to it a few times throughout this conversation. Uh, it was actually recently reported that Melbourne has spent the most days in lockdown of any city in the entire world so you guys are world champs you're number one in lockdowns uh here over here in sydney uh we're recording this on october 15th so we're just we've just come out of lockdown for those who are fully vaccinated to come out of lockdown here in sydney and so you know i I feel a lot of pain for you guys we were in this together for so long for yeah. like three months we we're in this together and yeah and now i feel like i've left my friend behind but what has uh leading a church been like in this environment and, and obviously you know uh you were pastoring for less than a year as the the lead pastor of upc limbrook and now you've had this challenge for the last year and a half
0: well it was interesting greg um as i said just before you know at the church had- pretty much doubled from when we took over in July to to December. And um I would have never thought in the first 12 months of pastoring that church that we'd double in size and then we'd have to close it down, Uh, mm-hmm. you know, within the first, I think it was first nine months. And, and certainly um when the pandemic hit in March last year, when it was declared a pandemic, shutting the church doors, uh, I didn't think that that would ever happen.
2: Yeah, me neither
0: and okay we had that australia wide lockdown in march and then we kind of started to reopen in april and may and everyone thought yep she's going to be okay it's all good and then then we had um, we had a huge outbreak in melbourne to the point where we were in lockdown from it was july and we were back in church in pretty much full capacity in december Jeez. so that was our first first major lockdown in melbourne and uh, i suppose through that time you you start to question you know you ask the question why why? What, what, what can we possibly learn from this? And you know, going back to talking about having mentors, I couldn't pick up the phone and call brother Simon Butcher or brother Tom Trimble and say, "Hey, can you talk me through pastoring through a pandemic?" Because I, I don't know any pastor alive today that has pastored through a global pandemic.
2: Mm, exactly. So everyone's first time doing it.
1: It's we're
0: newbies at this. You know, we're noobs. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, at the same time. It didn't take the Lord by surprise,
1: mm.
0: you know. God, God, well, it took it took it took human human kindness by surprise. It didn't take God by surprise, and 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 I suppose what I learned through lockdown, and we're still in lockdown today. I think mm. uh, we're about two hundred and fifty-five. Day two fifty-five out of three hundred and sixty-five days. Um, I'm waiting on the Guinness book of records to send me the certificate so I can hang it <laughs> on the wall. But I oh, think they'll man. have to print 6 million copies yeah. to, for each resident or 7 million copies for each resident in Melbourne. Oh, um, but, you know, I, I suppose it taught me a lot about trusting in the Lord. You know, we, we've just, we, we take over pastoring things are going really well, you know, six, eight months, and then everything just shuts. All right. You know, I think it was the Apostle Paul that asked many times when he was going through his sufferings, "Why?" He never got an answer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and and we can ask why, and 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 it's I haven't got an answer yet why we're going through this through this season, and I believe it's a season, a very long season, at the moment. But it's it's about trusting in the Lord and being flexible. Mm.
1: You
0: know from week to week we don't know what's going to happen so when we came out of our first long lockdown in december last year we were allowed to have a four square meter density equation at church so that's 57 people plus staff and then so how do you administer how do you manage that when you have more than 57 people that want to be in church and then we go to two square meters which takes us to 114 and then we close again and then we're allowed five in the church to live stream we had to learn to to be flexible um and, and look, has it been easy? No, it hasn't been easy,
1: mm.
0: but that, that it's that those times where, where you've got to realize that, you know, God has called you to do something and it's not always going to be easy. And, and I know this has not just been hard, hard for us. It's, it's, it's not just a Limbrook thing. It's, it's not just a Victoria thing. In Australia, other, other States have felt it, maybe not to the same extent as us, but, God is still in control and, and God, even in the lockdown, God is still moving.
1: Right.
0: You know, we've had people, when we had that first lockdown closed, we didn't know who would come back to church. Prior to the lockdown, as I said, we had our largest service. We had 99 in the building, which we haven't had for many years prior to that. In that 99, there was a group of, of Burmese folk that had started coming to church um, and and then, they, obviously, the Burmese—they're not very good with, with English and, and whatnot. They they kind of keep together. And and when we came back after the lockdown, they never returned. Mm. They started their own group, and and one of their, their their pastor is now about to get credentialed, hopefully through the UPCA, and start their own church.
1: Oh, that's good to
0: hear. Um, he's where he's doing Bible school through yeah. us at Limbrook, so we can get him through that process. Um, but when we came back to church, the, the, that was a group of about thirty people that didn't come back, but. Between the second big lockdown and our current large lockdown, our biggest crowd without the Burmese group was
1: 97.
0: Mm. So through lockdowns, through pandemics, God is still moving. And it's just, we've just had to, we've just had to learn to reach out in different ways. You know, I can't, I can't on a Sunday reach out and touch the person and talk to them face-to-face. So that we've had to embrace other methods, Zoom. And I oh, would have never heard of Zoom before March last year. Mm-hmm. no one, no one had, you know, and if I'd known, I would have bought shares.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. The Lord
0: told brother If the Lord told brother Hogman that the pandemic was coming in, he retired at the right time. If the Lord, I wish the Lord had told him to buy some chairs in zoom, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, that didn't happen. But God, God is still moving. So we've seen so many people that had left the church come back to church. Mm. I, I had a, I had a phone call about five weeks ago from a young man, um, and he is the great grandson of one of the pastors of one of our churches in Dandenong, the great grandson. Now he reached out to me because he'd just come to the Lord and he was looking, wanted to know more about his Christian heritage. So I was able to connect him with a, with a lady from our church that was part of the Dandenong church that could give him information on his great grandfather. Wow. Then she was able to connect him to another lady that's in another state that could give him more information about his great grandfather and, and, we have actually we're going to catch up when lockdown ends
1: that's so cool
0: that's crazy like during lockdown we we get connected with the great grandson of one of our pastors that has gone to be with the lord many years ago Mm. you know so in the lockdown god is still moving
2: right and we actually talked about that church i think in the in the episode that we did with uh sister down she talked about the Mm -hmm. origins of that church
0: yeah, she came out of that
1: church,
2: yeah. Yeah, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, and what I've noticed um, in my relationship with you is you, you, and, and obviously not every day you're in a great mood, but in my interactions with you, you seem to be, you keep yourself upbeat, you know, despite what you're going through, you know, you have that uh, positive outlook, and and I think that's so important. That was something that I settled on last year, you know, when I was a kid, I'm was i an American, so my rights are being infringed, and, and you know I'm getting fired up about having to be told to stay home, as most people were kind of feeling that way. But at some point, I had to make the decision that, you know what? I'm not in control, and what I am in control of is how I'm going to respond to this, and sure. am I going to grow? Am I going to become better out of this? Or am I going to allow all of this to overshadow everything that God wants to do uh, in sure. me and through me? You know, so at the end of the day, you have to make that decision. Yeah, and, and I've seen you yeah. guys doing that.
0: And, and, yeah, you're right, Greg, and it's not been easy. There are some days where I'm happy to just stay, in, you know, I'd rather just stay in bed, but that doesn't benefit anything or anyone. Right. You know, and, and it's it's taking that perspective. Yes, we're locked in our houses, you know, things are, things are crazy, but God is still on the throne. He is still moving. He is still in control. And, and, and we've seen that over and over again in the last 255 days of being in lockdown.
2: Yeah. And something else that happened while in lockdown, you are talking about how Mm -hmm. the church continues to grow and and that despite that God is moving, you guys have started a building program. Mm -hmm. You started that at the beginning of this year, a very ambitious building program. I've Mm -hmm. seen your plans and uh, I've always been jealous of you guys' property. We're in landlocked Sydney. So uh, Mm -hmm. if anyone's been to POS, uh, we have almost no parking. We're an industrial area. Yeah. Uh, and then you, you go to UPC Lynbrook and they just have this massive green, beautiful yeah. field and a <laughs> nice car park. And, uh, and you guys are going to be filling up a lot of that space with that, with a, a big building. Yeah.
0: yeah. Look, and, and really it goes back to the time when brother and sister Forbush came to Australia and, and bought the block of land with nothing around it.
1: Mm.
0: We have five acres, we have five acres, um, really in one of the fastest growing areas of Melbourne and, and um, I remember as a young person, we used to use the fields around the church before there were houses as a driving range. We used to grab our <laughs> golf balls <laughs> and, and we'd hit golf balls out into the paddocks as we'd call them. And, and I'd hate to think how many hundreds of golf balls the developers um, would find when they were starting to build houses. They probably wondered what was going on. But if it wasn't for the four bushes at that time, you know, many, many years ago, Buying that block of land, we wouldn't be in the position where we are today. So, yeah, talking about our building project, who who, who launches a building project in the middle of a pandemic? Right, <laughs> that sounds that sounds pretty crazy. But let me tell you about this. So I'd said before that you know we got to the point where we were having we we were having ninety nine in church and, and and whatnot, and we were um, we were averaging about eighty seven on the Sunday. We have one hundred and twenty seats out, so you know the eighty percent full rule. We tick that box. We've right. gone, and 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 what are we going to do? You know, how, how are we going to how are we going to increase capacity? And and you know, we talked about doing two services. We talked about all of those different options. But really, at the back of our mind, we wanted to keep people together. So we thought, well, you know what? We've got all this land. Let's let's just reach out to an architect, get an idea, get an idea of what it's going to cost to build a facility. So I told you earlier, my wife's you know, dream big.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we reached out to an architect and said, look, we want to build a facility that's going to seat 450 people. Uh, you know, we want t- uh, 10 Sunday school rooms, you know, this, that, and the other. So, you know, beautiful entry foyer, et cetera, et cetera. The architect went away and, and came back to us with a price of $4 million. Mm.
1: So,
0: so once Fiona was able to get me off the ground, <laughs> <laughs> right? we looked at each other and said, well, how are we going to do that? And, and then lockdown hit. So, you know, Okay, well, with something we don't have to talk about because we're in lockdown. We don't have to worry about the church being full. Um, during lockdown, I had a, a, a message from a, a developer on LinkedIn, a social media platform that I used to use for my work, my, my finance work, just wanting to have a chat about the property that we have at church. Now, as I said, it's five acres in a fast-growing area in southeast of Melbourne, and our block of land is the only available land that's left in the area. Um, wanted to have a chat about the block of land and and I'm always of the opinion if someone wants to talk about something I'm happy to have a chat right you know so so we met at the church and and he talked about potentially selling and I said to him look we've got we've got a block of land that is really useless to us we had had going back a step when the architect gave us that price of four million dollars we'd spoken to a town planner who who taught, who who went to local council and local council said there's a portion of our land that we won't be able to put a church building on um, based on current council regulations. We could put a basketball court, a soccer field, you know, a playground on it. That was really all we could do with it. And, Mm. and really we want to build a church, not, not a playground or a soccer field, you know, or a basketball court or a gym. Um, So I spoke to the developer and said, look, we've got this little parcel of land um, that we, we don't really need. It's, it's, it's access to what we want. What, what, what can, you know, what can you do with it? So they went away, um, they went away and came back to us and, and, um, made us an offer. And I fell off the chair again, Greg, <laughs> right. They, they made us an offer of three and a half million dollars for that wow. block of land, which is smaller the, the block of land. We were prepared to let go of was less than the block of land we're keeping. So I had a look at it again. I spoke to, we, again, with great free and trepidation, we took the heads of agreement for the purchase of this block of land to brother and sister Hogwin, you know, walking into the doors, my hands are trembling because, <laughs> you know, because it's the, the block of land, that land has always been a miracle to us,
1: hmm.
0: you know, many years ago, before brother Holden took over pasturing, they passed it for a, for a short period of time. I think it was about five years. I could be wrong with that. But prior to that, we nearly lost that property. It was nearly repossessed by the bank. So it was always viewed as God provided a miracle. So we didn't lose the property. Right. So now, we're, now the new pastor is going to the previous pastor with a heads of agreement to potentially buy, buy to sell a portion of the land. So, mm. you know, a bit of fear and trepidation right there. And then when we walked in and, and we talked to brother and sister Hogwin about it, and, you know, we're out of room. They acknowledge that. You know, forget. I'm not even talking about the pandemic because let's not worry about that right now. You know, we're out of room. Um, we need to do something. It's going to cost four million dollars. One architect said four million dollars to build, but he was doing bells and whistles and. You know, we don't need, he was going to put water tanks underneath the church to cool the building and, you know, oh, he was wow. a, a tree hugger, yeah. uh, right? <laughs> <Bring it. laughs> so we, we just want a building that's functional. So anyway, we went and said, you know, we're out of room, da, da, da. we need to do something. We had a developer contact us and, and, and sister Hogman's initial response was a big gasp and I think maybe in the back of her mind, she was probably like, we're going to sell. And I said, look, let's let's talk about it. You know, we've got we've gone to council, a town planner spoke, we've spoken to a town planner, and we can't do anything with what what I call the paddock. It's useless. It's a basketball court, a soccer field, you know, a playground. We can't do anything with that. And a develop I've spoken to a developer who's contacted me and they've offered us three and a half million dollars for this parcel of land. The sister Hogman burst into tears as she does, because it's a miracle.
1: Mm. You know,
0: this this miracle block of land that we've had that brother and sister Forbush so many years ago bought is now providing us a further miracle where we can build a facility that's going to seat 450 people. It's going to have 10, 10 Sunday school classrooms. It's going to have offices. It's going to have everything that we need. And effectively, we should be able to do it with no debt.
2: Wow, that's amazing. Greg, in the
0: middle of a pandemic.
2: In the middle of a pandemic. Man, that's powerful.
0: You know, so that's, uh, that's coming very close to... coming ahead i spoke to the developer this week we're hoping that they'll finish their side of things by the end of the year and we're hoping to turn soil in the first quarter of next year
2: oh praise god that's so cool
0: and that's why i said in the middle of a pandemic god still moves
2: amen amen
0: yeah there's an air of excitement about that in the church and you know right now with with 100 and 140 regulars at church i'll put that in inverted commas people that call our church their home church you know, we can fit them all in a bigger building,
1: mm-hmm. even
0: with a four square meter density equation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. Even if they want to keep doing that, you'll still be able to get everybody yes. in there. Yes,
0: right. In Jesus' name, that ends. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, praise. Yeah, seriously. Oh, man. Yeah. It's yeah. been going on way too long. But wow, yeah, that, it's, what an amazing story. I love that.
0: Oh, it's, it's easy, and you can't, you know, and, that, and that's the thing, you know, through the pandemic, what's the purpose of it? What's the purpose of it? We may not ever know the, the reason why we've gone through this, but God's still in control.
2: God's still in control. Yeah. And He's still leading and He's still opening doors, mm-hmm. still making a right. way. That's well, right. this this is the final question to ask you. What drives yeah. you? I, I ask this uh, to a lot of my guests on on the podcast. What drives you when it comes to ministry? What is it that is that driving force for you? For
0: I me, mean, that driving force Really, I know, I'll, I'll tell you the answer. I'll answer the question by giving you an example. You know what drives me is seeing the young lady that we saw in the last service we had before we went into this current lockdown, who had walked away from the Lord, walk up to the altar, raise her hands, and be refilled with the Holy Ghost. That's what drives me,
1: mm. and I
0: get emotional about it because that's that's what drives me. It sees people coming back to the Lord, coming to the Lord. You know, people fulfilling their calling. That's what drives me. Mm. And and yes, I get emotional about it because it's it's that's what that's what it's all about,
2: right? And we should we should never get to a point where it doesn't make us emotional. No. Some people may be able to, no. you know, bury their emotions way down there, but nah, no. but that's when, not me <laughs> exactly. And if you feel a call to ministry, ministry is about people, and uh, yeah. you know, when you see life change and impacted, mm. there's nothing better than yeah.
0: that. Yeah, and 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 yeah, absolutely. Seeing people, you know seeing that and seeing people achieve achieve their God's purpose in their life, you know, Mm. and that, that, that is something that is worth so much more than anything, anything else in the world.
2: Amen. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this uh, time with you, this conversation. I'm really encouraged, especially by that last story about the the miracle in the the middle of the pandemic. And uh, what I like to do at the end of these conversations is to uh, give my guests, the opportunity to share a word with the listeners, something that God has laid on your heart, specifically for the podcast. So if you wouldn't mind taking us out and uh, sharing that word, thank you again for being on today.
0: Thanks, Greg. I appreciate it. Thank you for, uh, thank you for the invitation. I feel honored to be a part of this. But um, yeah, I suppose when I, when I was thinking about this podcast today, you know, I was, I was thinking about where we see ourselves today and, and yes, New South Wales has come out of lockdown jealous for you guys um we're in theory coming out next week sometime but just because we've been in locked we've been in lockdown doesn't mean that we give up we throw our hands up you know and um god is still got in the lockdown and if god is still got in the lockdown then the great commission is still applicable even if we are in lockdown
1: mm-hmm.
0: um you know and and I'm, what i'm finding personally and and i'm sure you can you, you, the listeners out there can attest to this: that there are people out there now that are questioning everything. You know, they thought they had the answers to everything, but not anymore. They're questioning, they're questioning their core beliefs. They're questioning who they are. They're questioning what they're doing because if if the pandemic has not taught has taught people anything, it is is you know who are we? What's going on? You know, we thought we were invincible human beings, and and we are really so fragile. Mm. You know, and, and I alluded to it before, Greg, you were the grand, grandson of the old apostolic pastor that contacted us. You know, would he, have, would he have reached out to us if there wasn't a pandemic? I don't know the answer to that. He found the Lord through this pandemic period. So I can't answer that question, but there are people out there that are still looking, they're out there in our communities, our homes, wherever we go, wherever we interact with, when we're in lockdown or unlocked, and lockdown, there are people with questions and we have the answer. Mm-hmm. We have the answer, and the answer is Jesus. And 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 I, and I like I like what I read in John four, where Jesus tells his disciples we need to go through. He needs to go through Samaria, and and we know when he gets to gets the, a, a place there, he sees Jacob's well there, and he and he's tired. He, it's noontime. It's the hottest part of the day, and he sits down at the well, and 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 you know Jesus never did anything by accident nothing he did was it was very intentional so at the hottest part of the day he's sitting at the well and and this woman comes to him you we all know the story and and um you know usually you drew water at the cool part of the day you know and, and you, it might be a meeting place you know now in, in work life you took you meet around the water cooler and you talk you know i suspect back then in jesus's time you met at the well and chatted wasn't much different and and so you know she's come to the hottest part of the day and we can only allude to the fact when you know her story that's the reason that she's coming to the well at the hottest part of the day um and and jesus says to this lady know, give me a drink and the lady rightly says hey i'm a samaritan you're a jew we don't we, we, we don't have a relationship we don't have we don't have anything to do with each other and um and and we know that jesus offers her living water and 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 that's really not the point i want to make to today but you know, Jesus reveals to her who he is, the Messiah, and and we read in this in this account in John four that she goes back she goes back to the village and and you know she's not just going to tell her husband or husbands you know um, about about the the Messiah that she's just met at the well, uh, but she goes away to the village and and maybe. Maybe in my human thinking, I think she's going to come back with the person that she's having a relationship with right now. And maybe the husbands are going to follow. because she's just gone to those people and said, come and come and see the Messiah. But if you read the story, you see that the whole town comes out. Hmm. You know, and the disciples come back to Jesus and they're caring. Has anyone fed you? Are you okay? And, and Jesus says to his disciples, guys, have a look around. You know, let's not say in four months the harvest is coming. Have a look. Look at all these people coming out to meet us at the well, you know? And and, and I wanna encourage whoever's, whoever's listening today, you know, as we come out of this pandemic, yes, there may still be sorrow, there may still be sickness and pain and death, all of those things, but as people are coming out of their homes, they're looking for something. They're looking for hope, they're looking for a sure foundation because maybe the foundation that they built their life on to now has crumbled. You know, jobs, how many people have lost their jobs? Education facilities are shut. Their health is questioned. They're questioning their health. You know, the, the cash they have in the bank is dwindling because they've not been able to work. All of these things, they're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. And we have a hope. We know where we can find hope. It's in Jesus Christ. And I like to look at this woman bringing her, her town to see Jesus at the well as an analogy of people coming out of lockdown. They're coming out of lockdown with questions, you know, with questions, with pains, with sorrows, with, with not sure where, what they believe, where they stand and, and they're coming out of lockdown and, you know, maybe they're going to go to the United Pentecostal Church of Limbrook or the POS and let that place where you serve, where you minister, you know, where where the church you call home, let that be the well, where the people find Jesus. Hmm. You know, they're going to come in and they're going to have a lot of issues. The church should be a hospital. The church should be a hospital, not a museum. And people are going to come in. And, and, and Lindbrook, we've seen that firsthand, where people have come in with issues. That, and I'm reminded about one of our, one of our dear friends. You He was a very close friend to me. He came to church three years ago. The day he walked into church, you could say that we smelt him before he saw him. He loved alcohol. We smelt him before he saw him. And he came in. I remember the first day he came to church, he came with a bottle of water. And he asked Brother Hogman, who was pastoring at the time, to pray for his water. Because he came out of a traditional Orthodox church. Um, Brother Hogman said, you know, there's no power in the water, you know, da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And in any anyway, this this man, you know, started to attend church more and more often. And and one day he came to church and it's like, I don't smell the alcohol. You know, it came. He kept coming to church. He was baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. He um one day Tommy's testimony that you know he was messed up on drugs, messed up with alcohol. He was an all-manner of antipsychotic medication. And God took it away like that. You know, and 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 he went to be with the Lord earlier this year. He God took him with, you know, cancer took him, God didn't take him, God took him home, but he succumbed to cancer. But you know, to see the the change that God made in this person's life, it gives me hope that, you know, as people come out of lockdown and are looking for answers they will find what they're looking for in our churches you know we in 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 you and me in us as children of god the light of the world the salt and the light you know and i want to encourage everyone there are people looking still his return is soon the lord is coming back and the closer we get to his return the more we need to be about his business and i encourage anyone if you're questioning you You know, whether you should be in ministry, whether you should be out of ministry, what you should be doing, seek after God. Seek after what he has for you. I think it was Brother Stoneking that said, why be a king when you can be a preacher? Hmm. It's so true. And I'm not talking about a preacher at a pulpit. You can be a witness in your home, in your school, in your job, at the supermarket. You can be that living epistle. And I encourage someone today, whoever's hearing this, just be the church be what God wants you to be there are people that have got questions that they do not have answers to and you have the answer so great really I just want to leave that thought out there be Jesus because this pandemic has created havoc and the church is well placed right now to be that band-aid that balm of Gilead that healing that healing power that
1: the world needs